Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are now entering a critical thinking zone. So thinking caps are required beyond this point. From deep behind enemy lines, deep in the heart of the Midwest, it's your host, Andrew Coppins. And it's time for Critical Thinking. What's up, everybody? One final day where it's just me, myself, and I here on Critical Thinking. Pat will be back after his break starting on Monday. So don't you worry, the fun, the frivolity, the poking fun of each other will commence starting on Monday. But do not forget, you can follow on social media at The Coppin Show. And of course, you can always, always subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform or watch the show. In fact, I would highly suggest watching this show if you are a regular podcast listener, because I'm going to go through some numbers, some charts, some things that um, won't make as much sense to you, the listener. So go to our Rumble page, rumble.com backslash critical thinking. Watch the show. We really, really appreciate each and every single one of you that watch, that listen. It's uh, been a pleasure to have you alongside this week by myself. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, Nate Thurston from Good Morning Liberty. Please check out that podcast. Um, We had him on yesterday. I know that I thoroughly enjoyed talking a little bit of uh, modern monetary theory and inflation and all that wonderful goodness, but I've got some more numbers. I've got some charts. I've got a lot to get into because it's the return of Omicron. (sighs) Yes, it's returning. And how do I know it? Because here in Chicago, um, I've been out and about a lot lately and While we're now in the medium risk category, according to the CDC, I've also seen more and more mask wearing. Um, It it, it used to be maybe like a 30%. Now it's probably about 50-50 in terms of people wearing masks versus not wearing masks. And look, if you want to do that, go right on ahead. Be my guest. Be my guest. But we're going to talk some numbers We're also going to talk some euphemisms, which I've been trying to get to for the last couple of days here on the show. And of course, we've got the fryer for you. So let's start with the euphemisms that I've been trying to get to. All right, folks. So the Daily Wire um, had this in an opinion piece by Ben uh, Zeisloft and talking about how Conservatives often complain about the left warping language to suit their own objectives, and we see it all the time. Racist. That doesn't mean what it meant in the dictionary 10 minutes ago. You could talk about um, the sex-driven secular culture, right? The whole idea of grooming and minor attracted person versus a pedophile or pederast or birthing person, or abortion is healthcare, or um, trans women are women. No, no, they're not. They never will be because they don't have 
the genetic makeup to be so. But there are some bad uses of language, and I've talked about the preciseness. In fact, yesterday I talked about that when we talked about the individual who likes to claim that they want to be um, a person who wishes that their mother had aborted them. And no, they don't really mean that. How do I know that? Because if so, you wouldn't exist right now. You would have killed yourself. If you really believe that, let's take you to your logical conclusion. Kill yourself. I'm not advocating for that. I'm simply stating that your logic is insane. And it's because of the preciseness of language that matters here. And if we are precise in our language, if we say what we mean and mean what we say, we can shut down arguments or discussions around the, the dinner table during family functions, all that sort of wonderful goodness that we all dread, right? Well, um, Ben Zeisloft has this to say. One of the four euphemisms that he talks about is abortion kills babies. Now, I've never used that term, that phrase, that phraseology. I've never used it. <clears throat> he says that few conversations contain more euphemisms than that surrounding abortion, which is also true. The left makes ludicrous claims that abortion is health care. They use phrases like a woman's right to choose, um, terminating a pregnancy, and the word fetus, which is literally, by the way, the Latin word for baby. So I don't think you're using that word the way you want to because it is a baby. But it's all done to do what? Make it more comfortable for them to talk about the action, right? Which is what? The action of murdering a human life. Taking a human life. And if you and if we can't agree on that basic subset here, there is no further discussion to be had. But we talk about this all the time, right? This this idea of abortion kills babies. I've heard so many people talk about that. But think about it this way. What do we say about the gun rights or the anti-gun, anti-Second Amendment movement, right? All the time. Hey, morons, guns don't kill people. People kill people. So let's apply that to the abortion debate, right? Abortion doesn't kill babies. It is the action, no doubt about it, but it doesn't happen on its own. There is a human being, nay, two human beings, right? The, the mother and the abortionist. It's not abortion kills babies. People kill people, period. A gun doesn't do it. An inanimate or however you want to put it, action is not it either. Murdering somebody with a firearm is not a morally neutral event, right? Right? As Zeisloft says, unless you are the most ardent materialist to have ever walked the face of the earth, murder, 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 murder via firearm is not morally equivalent to, say, a bridge collapsing and crushing the unfortunate soul who happened to be walking underneath it. Abortion in the same sense, is what? Abortion does not kill babies. People kill babies. And as he puts it in this article, to be even more precise, mothers and fathers pay hitmen, aka abortionists, to murder the child, usually for the sake of convenience. I mean, I could play video after video, if I had time to look all of them up, of people, quote-unquote, shouting their abortions, noting that this is abortion 7, abortion 8, abortion 9, abortion 10, as if it's birth control. The point of this is to stop using abortion kills babies. No, 
you kill the baby. It's not, not the action. We have to put it in those terms. And why do we put it in terms like that when it comes to gun rights and the Second Amendment and the anti-Second Amendment, anti-gun movement? Why do we use that phraseology, that terminology? Because it puts the onus on the person committing the act. The gun has no responsibility if there is no action done by the human being behind it. Abortion is the same way, and we have to talk about it in those terms. We have to be precise in that language. Now, another term that he talks about here is biological man. And as Zeisloff says, the left's transgender craze is awash with contradictions. Again, as previously mentioned, Americans are expected to believe that men can conceive and give birth. Transgender ideologues believe that sex is a biological construct, while gender is a sociological construct. Progressive activists have no problem that saying biologically female penises or biologically male uteruses. That's what those progressive activists have no problem saying. Yet we, um, in the conservative libertarian circle, because I'm going to lump them together because they do talk in these same terms, they have adopted the term biological man or biological woman. Why should we stop using that term or those terms? Because it gives legitimacy to that progressive activist LGBTQ LMNOP plus, minus, tilde, sign, ampersand, crowd. It gives them a playing field. It, it gives them legitimacy to their argument. And it is an illegitimate, unscientific, anti-science argument. Now, could people have gender dysphoria? Could they feel like they are not represented by their body? body dysmorphia, or whatever you want to call it. absolutely, freaking lutely they can. But that is an actual scientifically psychological issue. There is nothing biological about it. As Zeisloft points out, although conservatives would ostensibly agree with the fact that there is... Uh, you know, men having one X chromosome and one Y chromosome, while women have two X chromosomes. Why we would agree with the above, what exactly do they mean by the term biological man? Could you just be a spiritual man, an emotional man? Do you see what, what Zeisloft is getting at here? Either you, there's no biological about it. It's just man or woman. And if you are not one of those two things <clears throat> biologically, right? If your makeup is a different situation, then we can categorize you in that, a hermaphrodite or whatever. But we, but we don't need to use the term biological. We, that, that is implied in man or woman. And using that terminology allows the other side legitimacy in an absolutely 100% illegitimate argument. And we're seeing this because every time we cede ground on this illegitimate argument, because remember, 20 years ago, right, you couldn't choose to be gay or be a lesbian, right? That wasn't a choice. We were told that's not a choice. That's just their makeup. It's who they are internally, right? You couldn't feel one way one day and feel another another way another day. That's no. That was the gay marriage debate, right? So we seeded that ground and said, okay, well, maybe you can um maybe you're born that way. We were told, I'm just born that way, right? Look at Lady Gaga's song. So we seeded that ground. There then comes the the gay marriage. Uh, situation and okay, I would argue the state needs to get the hell out of marriage anyway. 
but that's neither here nor there. But the overall point in all of this is now we're now we're seeding the language ground to this idea that there's somehow something different about a a person who's not a man but wants to be a woman and a woman who wants to be a man. It's biologically obviously impossible. Just because you look one way and you've mutilated yourself to look one way doesn't mean you actually are. But if we see that ground, where does it go? What is next? Well, we've already kind of hinted at this, and this is the concept of minor attracted person, right? Because it's LGBTQ queer plus. And we've seen some people inside this group inside this umbrella group, talking about it, talking about we have to use the term minor attracted person. No, that's a pedophile. That is a pederast. There's a difference, and they matter. We are not to legitimize illegitimate things. That's the point, for me at least. Seisloft continues with a third concept here, and that third concept is culture war. He says, to a large extent, the tension in American life is cultural. Roughly speaking, there exist two fundamentally juxtaposed cultures in the United States, those who are deeply influenced by biblical ethics and lead lives with at least some mind towards a personal, just God, and those who are increasingly non-religious and driven by secular ideology— and I have talked about that for a very long time. In fact, um, we have gone over the course of the last 15 years from a 5 to 1 Christian to non-believer um, ratio to 2 to 1. We've seen a massive decline in those and a massive uptick in those who are non-believers, right? That secular ideology absolutely controls every institution. So I get it, right? The culture war. Influential voices, as Zaislav says, in the latter group, however, disparage this conflict with the term culture war, especially when discussing topics like LGBTQ ideology, abortion, education, and any other issue that pertains to the nuclear family or threatens to undo it altogether. The term culture war, at least for those on the left, is not meant as a sincere description of America's cultural divides. It is a tool used to scoff at those who would dare stick to their old-fashioned, old-timey morality while encouraging others to do the same. And I have talked about how oftentimes, yes, as a Christian, as a Catholic, talking about that in public, being an actual pillar of, of wanting to talk about that life, right, and... and how it influences things from my business ethics to integrity to my moral compass, okay? Am I perfect? No. I always fail because we're human. But it's the realization that that is a failing that matters. They scoff at it. And it's why many people bottle those feelings up, bottle that up, and then never talk about it publicly because they get scoffed at, laughed at. They, it is difficult because oftentimes you are standing alone or you feel as if you are standing alone. But Zaislav continues, even as the left determinately sticks to, uh, seeks to legislate that kind of morality, scrapping limits on abortion, decriminalizing pedophilia, making female inmates bunk up with other men, they want to deter the right from legislating their morality. We have to legalize this, or you know, uh, gay marriage has to be part of the state. Well, how about the state get out of marriage, period? If you actually look at the history of marriage in America, why, why were those things taken up by the state? The Democrats wanted it. Look it up. However, as Zaislav says, there is no neutrality. It is not whether morality will be legislated, but whose morality will be legislated. And that's why I love the term that Steve Dace, our, our friend and, and um, former guest on the program, uses. 
And it's, we're not a nation of laws. We are a nation of political will. We always have been and we always will be. Why does that matter? Why does that matter? Because it is a wake-up call to all of those on the, on the right who, by and large, want us to, to believe that we have the rule of law and we have to pay attention to that, right? And, and we have to live a life based off of laws, except for the other side is not playing by the same rule book. We don't agree to the same rules. So what happens when that happens? You, you do have the cultural clash. But to use the term culture war, you have to understand that, that the left uses that to laugh at you. You can use culture war when, and, and I kind of agree with Zeisloft here, to emphasize the victory, to point out the left's insanity, right? We, we had this happen uh, this week, and you know what? I'm going to save it for the friar, um, but do not allow the left to leverage the term, to take advantage of the term, Right? For instance, we talk about mockery, ridicule, and scorn, right? Well, we've taken the, well, you're a racist term to mock, ridicule, and scorn. We have taken the left's quote-unquote sincerely held belief that everything is racist, right? Everybody's racist. Everybody's racist today. Or everything is racist. Everything is racist today, right? Why do I use that phraseology and, and sing that song on the show? Because it's insane. But to them, it is a sincerely held cultural, quote-unquote, moral belief. So flip that around. We don't need to use the term culture war. We just need to point out the bat crap crazy stuff and then let them know that no, we don't cede that ground. Now, he also talks about another euphemism, unapologetically pro-life. Mike Pence is famous for having uttered that term during a uh, debate, or the only debate, in the, uh, in the 2020 election, right? I'm unapologetically pro-life. He said, I am pro-life. I don't apologize for it. Now, you might be saying, well, wait a Wait a tick. Wait a moment. Um, what's wrong with saying I don't apologize for, you know, protecting life? But I want you to think about this. And Zeisloft also <clears throat> has you thinking about this in the article. What would you say to somebody who says I'm unapologetically anti-slavery or I'm anti-Holocaust? There is absolutely no shame. There's no need to apologize, because that's what you're saying. I'm not going to apologize. There's no need to do that if you believe that what you're talking about and what you are either pro-life or anti-this or anti-that, right? If you believe it to be an absolute injustice in our society, large-scale injustice, what the hell do you have to apologize for? Why? It, putting that, that uh, sequitur on there, right? <clears throat> Tacking unapologetic onto something says that you should be ashamed or um, apologetic for, excuse me, I, I'm really sorry that I oppose abortion. No, it is an injustice. It is an immoral act to you and me and to other people in the pro-life movement, right? It's an absolutely morally unjustifiable act, right? What the hell do you have to apologize for then for opposing it? What do you have to apologize for for being anti-slavery or, I don't know, anti-racist? And not in the way that the left means it, but just simply, I don't like racists. I, no, no, no. I don't have to apologize for that position. And I refuse to. Right? Right? I, but I don't need to put it in the word. Well, I'm unapologetically pro. No, I'm pro-life. And if you have a problem with it, that is a you problem, not a me problem. 
And I, I think it's as simple as that. Now, with that having been said, are you ready to, I don't know, play, play the numbers game a little bit? All right, so we're going to play the numbers game, and we're talking about COVID-19 and the return of Omicron. <sighs> Here's the very simple newsflash up front for everybody that I'm going to reset a thousand times until it gets into the thick skulls of the public health departments, the CDC, our government leaders, whether that's at the local, state, or federal level. This is a seasonal virus. It will come in waves. It will ebb and flow. We are experiencing an ebb and flow right now. We are experiencing a rise. You know, um, like three months after we experienced a lull. Hmm. And then we'll experience this throughout May into June. Then it will subside. Then we'll have July, August. September, then in October, into November, into December, the numbers will continue to increase, and then they'll go away, and then we'll see it come back, and then it'll go away, and it'll come back, and it will go away, kind of like it's a flu season! And speaking of that, we're going to talk about the uh, flu comparison <clears throat> that Bill Gates finally made this week in a little bit here on the program, but... I want I want you to understand this, okay? Because Vermont leads the United States in cases and in outcomes, right, of COVID-19 right now. They're having an absolute firestorm of COVID-19 breakout in their uh, state. So why do I bring up Vermont? Well, because it is most like Europe in its makeup. It is largely white. It's largely European white in its um, origins, in its makeup. And just like most of Europe, it's about 85 to 90 percent fully vaccinated, boosted, all of that wonderful goodness. Yet we're having an outbreak. We're all having an outbreak. We're all having an outbreak when Omicron does its thing. My point in all of this is they look just like Europe and well um what if i told you that um the last time that the unvaccinated individuals in the state had more cases than the vaccinated was the week of December 12th. Would you believe me? Because it's true. Now, yes, logically speaking, you would think that the unvaccinated being such a small percentage of the population versus the large center of population that is vaxxed and boosted and all that wonderful goodness, right? you would necessarily then assume that there would be larger percentages or larger numbers. But even if you were to stratify the, stratify the data for that, the vaccinated population still, since December 12th, has more. Yes, more. Okay? More cases than the unvaccinated population. To the point that as of last week, the last week of data available from Vermont, the case numbers are over two to one. The vaccinated have two over two times as many cases as the unvaccinated. Now, why does that matter? Again, in, in a relative or real comparison, it matters because we have been told over and over and over and over and over again, that number one, you're not supposed to be able to get it. We knew that that was a lie, but we were told that those people who get 
COVID-19 and are unvaccinated are going to die. Um, what if I told you that the number of hospitalized people with vaccination was 11 in Vermont last week? Then if I told you that the unvaccinated population represented two, a whole two cases, what are we finding out about the vaccinations? What are we finding out about Omicron? What are we finding out about this variant and its um, other mutation? It turns out that the unvaccinated population and its ability to naturally fight this is better than those people who have gotten the vaccination. That's right. You have a better chance of a positive outcome because it turns out that in some cases, nature over nurture or tricking your system into it works to your advantage. I'm not saying don't get vaccinated. I'm not saying that um, nature running its course is the right thing either. What I am saying is think about it and make a choice that is educated for yourself. And that's what I've been saying from the get-go. I'm not you. I don't know what your current health condition is. I don't know if you are immunocompromised and you want to give yourself all the protection in the world. Have at it, Hoss. But the data is telling us that given this variant and its subvariants that are out there, the natural path seems to be the one that works better. More importantly, I've got some more numbers for you, courtesy of the CDC. And we were told time and again that, oh my God, everybody's going to die. Now, did we reach a million deaths in America from COVID-19? Yeah, we did. We just crossed that bridge in that barrier, however, whatever euphemism you want to use, right? We did do that. But I want you to think about this. That's over the course of two years. Most of which, by the way, we didn't have any sort of protection at all. None. Zip, zero, zilch. But I want you to think about this. Here's the COVID fatality rate stratified by single age groups. And I don't know how well you're seeing this on your screen, but if you are under the age of 25, you have less than 0.01% of a chance of dying from COVID-19 or with COVID-19. Not from, but with COVID-19. That's right. Your one-tenth of a percent chance of dying with COVID-19 does not happen until we reach the age of 40 Four years old. We also do not get to a 1% chance of dying from COVID-19 or with COVID-19, because I want to be precise in the language, with COVID-19, until you reach the age of 74. It turns out every single bleeping thing that I said over two years ago, is 100% true. This is a disease that largely affects those who have already known pre-existing issues and the elderly, which mimics what the outcomes of the flu are. I'm not saying they're the scientifically same. What I am saying is that the outcomes of these different diseases and viruses, what I am saying is that the outcomes are very similar. Why do we treat one one way and the other another way? I'm not saying 
by the way, that we should treat the flu like we treat COVID-19 because what do we also know about COVID-19? We also know that none of our mitigation efforts work. None of them. The vaccines are failing. The outcomes are terrible. Johnson & Johnson just had theirs pulled because of blood clot issues. And oh, by the way, how many people who already have blood clot issues in their lives got the Johnson & Johnson single dose because they didn't want to be sick? Holy crap. I know lots of them in my personal life who ran a large risk of dying from getting the vaccination over just getting sick from COVID. Unconscionable. Now, what if I told you I have proof that none of the mask mitigation works at all? Would you believe me? Well, I'm going to present to you this. This is a chart. If you are, again, are listening and not watching, go to rumble.com backslash critical thinking and find today's episode. This is a chart of daily new cases and mask compliance in Taiwan. What you will see is the daily new case number, which is the black line, um, looks like... um, A hockey stick. Where have I heard that argument before? I digress. And what you will see is mask compliance in the country of Taiwan never wavers below 90%. Never. So 90% of the population is mask compliant. Um, They lead the world in COVID-19 case numbers today. They lead the world world in that category. An 8,000% increase in cases in the last month. 8,000%. If masks worked, that shouldn't happen. On top of all the vaccinations, on top of all the other mitigation efforts that the South Asian, Southeast Asian uh, countries have been putting on their people. That that chart shouldn't exist. Why is that important? Oh, because guess what the CDC is doing now? Well, if you're in the medium category, we strongly recommend masks coming back. We've seen school districts starting to put masks back on their kids as if that's ever bleeping worked. These people have just gone dormant. And these people are the bureaucrats, the fear mongers, the panic porn pushers, the the people who have bought into all of it over the last two years in our general population. They just went dormant over the last couple of months. They're still in that mode. And the second the CDC whips that fear up again, look out. We're not done with this crap. Even though the science, even though all of the data shows us that there's no need to fear this way. None. Zip, zero, zilch for the most general of our populations. If you are in the vulnerable category to a really negative outcome from this, take your mitigation efforts seriously. Maybe you isolate. Don't make the rest of us isolate because it turns out the rest of us isolating leads to alcoholism, has led to massive issues with um, with education outcomes, has led to a massive increase in suicidality and suicides within the teen population, within the African-American population. If you want to go down that uh, leftist route. We're going to go back to harming society for the 0.01% chance of general society having negative outcomes? Are you shitting me? It's insane. All insane. Which, by the way, brings me to this week in nominating the Richard of the Week. Uh, 
All right, so four nominees for Richard of the Week. Number one, Vladimir Putin, still doing this war thing, still committing war crimes. But hey, you know, you too can, because this is super serious, by the way, in Kiev, um, you too can go and uh, perform a concert in the subway system of Kiev. Yeah. <sighs> War-torn, what the? But anyway, Vladimir Putin, We've got to put Joe Biden for his lies on inflation and his absolute insane rants. You got Jen Psaki, well, for just being a horrible person, an absolute horrible person. And I'm going to show you why when it comes to that situation in the fryer. And then fourth and lastly, I've got to put the, the lady who did the sign, I wish my mom had aborted me. Again, no, you actually don't believe that. You literally do not. Because if you did, uh, you would have committed Harry Carey. You wouldn't exist right now. You, you would have done something about it yourself. So no, you really don't mean that. But of course, the winner of Richard of the Week, Vladimir Putin, again. Until that war ends... He's likely the winner. Just saying. Now, with that, um, I think it is time for us to hit the fryer. That's right. It is time for the fryer. And leading off the fryer is a person that I nominated for Richard of the Week, Jen Saki. Now, the story that we should all be talking about instead of the potential for Roe versus Wade to be overturned, yada, 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 all the shout your abortion bullcrap, all of that stuff. The story we should be focusing in on is um, we're going to starve our children in this country and our government doesn't give a bleep in more ways than one. So this comes from not the bee. Was anybody aware that the largest baby formula plant in the United States has been shut down for three months and the Biden administration refuses to allow it to open back up? That's right. The FDA refuses to say when America's largest formula plant will reopen. The story says that in mid-February, Abbott Laboratories issued a nationwide baby formula recall and ceased operations at its plant in Sturgis, Michigan, amid reports of babies contracting bacterial infections from its products. Now, an Abbott spokesperson told DailyMail.com on Tuesday that th thorough investigation by the U.S. FDA and Abbott revealed, quote, infant formula produced at our Sturgis facility is not the likely source of infection in the reported cases and that there was not an outbreak caused by products from the facility. Well, well what the hell? What, why is the facility not back online, right? Well, however, despite the findings of the investigation, the plant remains shuttered for nearly three months, fueling the nationwide baby formula shortage to the point where literally it is a 50-50 chance that your local grocery store or your local Walmart or whatever will have baby formula on its shelves. That's right. Our government is cool with a 50-50 chance of you being able to feed your baby, which, by the way, last time I checked, um, they need formula to live, especially if mom cannot produce any breast milk. But why would the plant be shut down? Well, the FDA, which said it did find uh, food safety violations at the plant, as well as five strains of Coronabacter, a bacteria that can cause blood infections and meningitis, so serious, has refused to say when the plant can resume operations. Here's the thing, though. That bacteria that they found and the violations that they found can be easily fixed by sanitizing the damn plant from head to toe. Does that take three months? No. No. No, 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 no. Here's a, here's a solution to a baby formula shortage, which means life literally or death for babies. Life or death 
for babies. Sanitize, fix the freaking issue, and get the plant back up and running. That's a simple solution. Yet the FDA will not allow that process to even begin. Three months. It's insane. It's all insane. Now, you might be saying, well, so what? Well, um, yeah, that's exactly what the Joe Biden administration is saying here. Listen to Jen freaking Saki on this. Since you said it was a public health question, which agency should that question be directed to? Just the very practical, immediate question of if you can't find formula and you need it for your baby to eat, what should they be doing? Uh, we would certainly uh, encourage any parent who has concerns about their child's health or well-being to call their doctor or pediatrician. What? Mm, you know, screw you, call your doctor. Now, I would also recommend... Um, Going to the government for this solution is insane. So in one respect, I guess she's correct. But notice how just she don't give a crap. Don't give a crap about the situation. The heartlessness, the callousness with which that answer came out. Not, well, in the immediate term, yes, you probably should call your doctor. Is she... Correct? I think that's probably the right solution here. That's the person who will know best. But maybe, just maybe, could you point us into the direction of guidance more broadly that people could follow? Is there a care factor in any of this from the government? Nope. They don't care about a real... We are talking about in the United States of America, where we just sent $40 billion to... Ukraine to arm them to do whatever for their war with Russia, where we just spent, what is it, five, seven, somewhere in there, five to seven trillion dollars to keep people away from work and then <clears throat> stimulate the economy because we wrecked the economy. We put the economy right into a ditch on purpose. We can spend all that money in the world, right? But we can't concentrate on making sure that people can eat. That the youngest, most vulnerable, those who cannot literally feed themselves, have food. We are talking about an actual food shortage in the United States of America? Are you shitting me? This isn't just hoarding. This isn't that. And oh, by the way, um, there's also a story out today. <clears throat> we're, we're shipping pallets of baby formula, pallets of it, to our southern border detention centers, by the way, so that those babies can be fed. Our government is shipping baby formula to the southern border so that illegal border crossing, illegal migrants sitting in our federal detention centers can eat. But we can't feed Americans first. We can't feed and put together a supply chain for regular people that live here in the United States. We're focused on making sure pallets of baby formula get to the border. That, that's our government's priority right now, by the way. I don't know. How about you? Um, I'm sorry. You're an illegal migrant. Uh, go over to Mexico and get your baby formula. Go back where you came from. Guess what? We don't have it here because uh, we need it for our own people. Do I want to be humane? to those individuals who are in those detention centers? Yes, I do. But I want to be humane to the people that actually, I don't know, live here legally and deserve, vis-a-vis -vis the fact that we pay our taxes, right? Actually deserve the government to help in a crisis situation because we are in one. Never in my lifetime have I ever, in my 40 years, almost 41 years, on this earth, experienced or seen 
anything like this. This isn't, oh crap, toilet paper's out. Or, oh man, I, I can't find the disinfectant wipes. It's not that. This is literally <clears throat> life and death for these kids. And Jen Psaki's like, I don't care. Go, go, go talk to your doctor. The government doesn't care. The, the easy way, the right way to have handled that situation is <clears throat> we are doing everything that we can to understand the problem here. And we feel for those parents and we want to urge and, and give you the, the, the guidance that you need. But in the immediate term, the best solution is to talk to your doctor. There's no we care. It's just go to your doctor. Screw you. Get out of here. She is a terrible human being, an absolutely callous, uncaring individual. Can't wait for that MSNBC show, though. And on that note, each and every one of you have a great weekend. Please be smart, be safe, be kind. As always, Matthew 547. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.